The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. A very warm welcome, everybody, to Squawk Box. We are live from Davos this morning. I'm Jeff Cutmore. And I'm Steve Sedgwick. And these are your headlines. The IMF out with a warning. The global economy is facing its biggest test since the Second World War. As managing director Kristalina Gorgieva says, there is a confluence of calamities. I'll be getting her view alongside the world's top financial players here at the Forum at 16.30 CET. On the markets, Wall Street flirts with bear market territory. The Nasdaq leading stocks lower, marking the longest losing streak for technology companies since the dot-com bust. US President Joe Biden signing off on a $40 billion aid package for Ukraine on his trip through Asia. This as Russia steps up its energy aggression against Europe, halting gas supplies to Finland. And Belgium becomes the first country to introduce a quarantine for monkeypox cases as the world registers more than 100 infections in 15 countries. And I'm Juliana Tatelbaum. Also coming up on the show this morning, Bundesbank President Joachim Nagel tells CNBC it's time for the European Central Bank to end its stimulus program and hike for the first time in over a decade. The data are speaking a very convincing language here that we stop our purchases. And afterwards, I believe we will see rather soon the first rate hikes. Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends, and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music, and Google Podcasts. So here we are again after two years of being away in a virtual summit that was uh, carried out from Singapore, effectively. We are back in the mountains of Davos. So it's the same... But it's different it's in the many same, ways. But warmer. Well, it is. <laughs> it's the same. But I don't have a massive load of uh, polar gear on. No, that's true. So we don't have all the cold weather. And the the other thing that's very different. I'm even of brave. No t-shirt under the shirt. You know. No t-shirt under no, the shirt. I know. I've gone for it. My goodness, that's uh, very manly of you. <laughs> We are back. Or a very small we are, woman. Yes, or even. Uh, we are back in the mountains here, but um, it's an altogether different climate, of course. And I'm not just talking uh, about the weather here at the World Economic Forum. Um, it is a spring meeting rather than the depths of January, but there's a little bit of a chill in the air as far as the global economy oh, is Oh, my concerned. goodness me. I mean, there's so much to say about yeah. what's going on at the moment. Stuff that... May I be honest about it? You and I have talked about and yeah. worried about for, I'd say, five to ten years. So, yeah, every dog has its day and we are a couple of old dogs. So I think a lot of things that you and I have had grave concerns about right. are beginning to happen. And they mm. are, as, as I think Gorgieva said, a, a confluence of events in your headlines. I think it's a very good way of putting it. No, absolutely. The head of the IMF is warning then that the global economy is facing the biggest test since the Second World War. Speaking here in Davos, as the annual meeting gets underway, the agency's managing director, Kristalina Gorgieva, 
Georgieva said the devastating impact of the war generating a food and energy crisis and weighing on growth means that the world has to help Ukraine prevailed. She also urged countries not to succumb to the, quote, forces of geoeconomic fragmentation that would make the world poorer and more dangerous. She instead called on leaders to support a Marshall Plan uh, plus to reconstruct Ukraine. Just to point out, the managing director will be in a panel that I'm conducting on the world economy later today. Uh, We'll be speaking, obviously, about not only what's going on with the war, but we'll be talking about COVID, as many parts of the world are still dealing with that. And of course, we'll also be talking about inflation and about how the central banks now are starting to react to inflation. With all due respect to this team lady, the mm. geopolitical fragmentation isn't necessarily something that anyone here in Davos is calling for. It's not something that any of the business leaders here would want. In fact, anything, it disrupts their business models. Don't we have to look, and let's be brutally honest about it, to the autocrats of the world of why we are seeing geopolitical fragmentation? I don't see it's coming from anyone uh, who literally signs up to the liberal democracy here in Davos, does it? They want status quo. Uh, you would, uh, kind of, I but I think there's a big issue to dive uh, into. I mean, look, deglobalisation is a story that we've been talking about way before the COVID pandemic. And why have we got deglobalisation? Why have we got Why do people want shorter supply chains? Why do people want to bring jobs closer to home? Well, <laughs> all right. Is that too existential? <laughs> well, look, we'll come back to this conversation yeah, in just yeah. a second because, I mean, this is going to feature through through, know, through our know, many days of coverage here. Your great read there just <clears throat> made me think. Uh, I just want to uh, point out that on the panel, uh, if we can pop the graphic back up, uh, I've got a, a number of other speakers as well. Uh, we will, of course, be talking to Kristalina Gorgieva. Uh, we'll also be joined by City CEO Jane Fraser, the Carlisle co-founder David Rubenstein uh, and banker of France Governor Francois Villeroy de Gallo. So that conversation will take place live at 16.30 Central European time today. You're hitting the ground running. Yeah. It's a biggie. Normally this panel comes towards the end of the week. I know. But uh, this time we are in the big room. So you get thousands. It's just, I know, but I know that for a fact. That's just it, what it, they're it, paying me. <laughs> <laughs> I really? Are they? <laughs> I wish. Um, but genuinely, there is thousands yeah. in that room. Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Yeah, no, no, it's going to be a big No event. nerves? Uh, for me or for, for them? Are you wearing your special lucky socks? They, they should be <laughs> Yeah, they should. Uh, my special lucky socks. Um, all right, let's talk a little bit about the markets then because obviously the markets are front and central for a lot of our investing audience. Tech stocks have suffered their longest uh, weekly pullback and losing streak since the bursting of the dot-com bubble in 01 after the Nasdaq closed lower for the seventh week in a row. Let's take a look at some of these numbers. So the Nasdaq uh, week to date, over the seven days, down uh, over 3%, as you know, uh, not far off the 4% mark, in fact. And as we look at some of the major names um, in this sector, uh, we saw companies like Cisco off over uh, 12% uh, month to date. But let me just mention um, some of the so-called FANG stocks, as it were, Uh, Meta down 3.5%. We saw Amazon down over 13.5% or nearly 13.5%. And we know that that story has become more difficult. Twitter, of course, that's been very much the focus of this takeover story with Elon Musk down nearly 22%. 
and Alphabet, of course, off nearly 5%. Just on to some of those other technology companies. Cisco, as I say, um, down over 12% on the month to date. We've got uh, uh, over 14% decline for companies like Dell and Shopify and Workday down nearly 20%. So it's been very brutal and I think very interesting that we spoke with Richard Edelman, what, that must have been uh, 40 minutes ago, and he said a lot of the technology companies that are his clients and that he's talking to are now focusing on trying to get cash flow positive. No way. Because they understand that the money Put raising the rules up, are Jeff. changing. You mean, <clears throat> you mean, let me just get this right. Mm. Dot com companies mm. are concentrating on economic fundamentals of running a business, i.e. how to have more cash flow coming in than going out. No way. Some of these dot com companies, by the way, these technology yes. companies, where are 5, 10, 15, 20 years old. They're not fly-by-night newbies. No. That's quite staggering. Uh, well, I, I, I mean, it's a cycle, isn't it? Uh, I, I, we can be really cynical about this, yes. and we can say, you know, fast-talking, shiny suits, yes. thought there was an opportunity to make a lot of money very quickly. Yes. Or we could say they were in a growth phase. They are businesses that are investing for a very long lifespan come on on. and they took advantage of money when it was cheap and now they're going to have to focus on their knitting i.e getting cash flow positive and demonstrate that they are real companies you've seen this movie before i've seen this movie before people who invested in the tulip bubble in the 18th century have seen this movie before we all know that there are some stunning pieces of land when the, the, the western powers were setting out on their ships in the 15th 16th 17th century where actually they were going to make some real money out of this and actually get some great land and what have you we also know there were a lot of dogs out there and year after year decade after decade century after century we see cycles of this my worry is that this is a cycle where the cognitive dissonance uh, the forgetfulness around what happened 20 years ago it it came back so quickly with a whole new generation of people who thought do you know what there are some Amazons out there there are some Googles Microsofts Apple some stunning stunning companies uh, and a lot smaller ones as well who've got brilliant business models there's also an awful lot of dogs out there that were never going to make money the business models were, were ridiculous and based on zero interest rates. They were based on zero interest rates. And I'll come to my point in a moment because actually I've got to just do the read. Okay. Is this, a, <laughs> is this a Bruce Willis movie or is this another kind of movie we're in? Any, well, it's probably Maverick these days, isn't right. it? Given the fact that he's I back like that. and it's supposed to be very, very good. It's supposed to be very good, the new one. I, I feel the need. Oh, I'm, the need for feel, what? Do you feel the need? <laughs> yeah. Do you the know need what? For speed. You can be my wingman. Thank you very much. No, you're supposed to say, you know, you'll make oh. Yeah. Uh, the S&P 500 briefly fell into market territory. Uh, I'm reading now, by the way. Amid steep losses early in Friday's session before it made a dramatic reversal to close higher. The last time the index was over 20% off recent highs was back in March 2020. Okay, my point here is, and I'll do these ad-libs on the S&P and what have you, which was down 3.2% week today, and uh, the Dow, which was down 2.9% week today. But, 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 but why are we obsessed? And I saw it all over CNBC on Friday. And if I was part of that conversation, I'd be going, no, you're so obsessed by one number. And that is whether the S&P is 19.9% lower or 20.1% lower. You're obsessed globally. Our viewers, our commentators, our colleagues, I'm going to say it, our peers in the industry, other financial business channels, if there are any, obsessed by this 20% number. Who gives a jot? You just reeled off a whole load of companies that have fallen dramatically lower than 20%. I can give you indices that are dramatically lower than 20% off. The Dow Transports, 
are in bear market territory, down 26%. The Russell 2K is down 28%. Uh, I've got others for you. What is the NASDAQ 100? Down 29.4%. The Composite, down 29.9%. Who gives a jot? Really? I, I give a job. Well, if the, if the uh, S&P is 19.9 or 20.1% yeah. lower. Look, um, you can get existential about this and say, well, what do the numbers matter? It's no big deal. But but these are benchmarks that well, I we Don Corleone voice. Uh, exactly. <laughs> but, but, but these are benchmarks that we think about as we give a label to the kind of market moves that we're seeing here. And I do think um, not only the technicians like to see these, um, these uh, points and then plot them and then get a sense of what, if anything, they mean for net the next move or for the collective psychology of the market. But there is that sense that at some point you do have to measure the market's behaviour. And it's just a convenient benchmark. You don't have to say it's any more than that. Well, you just agreed with it's me. Just it's a convenient benchmark. Well, it's, it's a lazy but it's benchmark. It, it, well, I, I don't know if it's a lazy benchmark. It's a benchmark. I mean, you can choose to do with it what you will, but it does tell us that there is a, a degree of volatility in the market at the moment, and the trend has been largely sideways and lower since the start oh, of the year. And look, I think we are, it's my fault, but we're, we're talking about semantics here, but I think it's a good debate nonetheless as well. But it doesn't change the fact that the multi-decade um, bond market has turned. It's yeah. turned for pretty much for good now. Let's be honest about it. We're not going to see bond yields back to where they were. Otherwise, something calamitous is going to happen again. We talked about the, 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 the structural changes, perhaps, in the attitude of a lot of these growth companies as well. So that has changed for good as yeah. well. So we've seen the bond market change, interest rates change, inflation expectations and complacency change as well. Add to that all the existential crises that are going on at the moment as well. And I think, again, the, the, the lady got it right. It's a confluence of, of very, very important matters. Yeah, what, how does that song go? I want you back. I, I want, want you back. back. I want you back for good. A lot of people... What feeling, are you talking about? Well, they want zero rates back. I people don't. feeling that way about I don't, the bond because I'm a saver. Look at that long-term chart and how it's now broken that trend line. Anyway, let's, let's move on. CNBC caught up with the boss of the world's ninth largest sovereign wealth fund here in Davos over the weekend to get his take on the market turmoil. Hadley sat down with Qatar Investment Authority CEO Mansour Al-Mahmoud, who has $450 billion under management and ask him how worried he is now about the recent sell-off and the macroeconomic outlook. I think um, I'm a little bit less pessimistic on that. Why? Why? Because I think we have uh, we are a better shape in terms of the uh, uh, banking sector. It has uh, a good balance sheet, which is we have a good liquidity. People have accumulated the wealth during the pandemic. A good unemployment rate right now. All these elements give us a good shape in getting into other problem. I'm not saying that we will not have a slowdown. I'm not saying that we might not have a recession. But if we have a recession, it would be a light recession. So central banks penetrating more and more money does not concern you? No, I think it's uh, uh, we have to control inflation. Uh, this is the main thing. Uh, I think uh, having an 8% in the CPI is is uh, you know a high number and i totally agree with the fed that they need to control it ah oh, that was a fascinating interview with uh, uh, one of our qatari guests have you seen our guest list uh yes i have <laughs> <laughs> yes i have i'm going to show it to the camera yes, very quickly because i don't want oppo to take which, a still of it which page are you going to show it oh, just it just runs on and on so i'm yeah, going to do it very quickly so that the opposition can't have a still of it to know what's going on 
There you go. But, but it, it's enormous. I mean, it goes on for pages, and it's yeah, fantastic. That's I an mean, impressive list. Yeah, and you're off from it. <laughs> no, you're doing your panel. Uh, anyway, so look, we've got an amazing guest list, I have to say. EY is a Carmine DeCibio. Uh, it's coming up. Uh, very soon. Uh, Deutsche Post's uh, Frank Arpel, as call, of course, as well as the SAPC uh, Christian Klein. Uh, we're going to discuss Hong Kong's future. In fact, you and I discussed it at length on the train up to Davos yesterday. And Jeff was giving me an education with um, what we're going to talk about with the uh, chairman of the HKEX. Uh, that is uh, Laura Char. Um, AstraZeneca chair Leif Johansson will join us. Gavi CEO uh, Seth Barkley will weigh in on what a post-COVID world looks like. Are we in a post-COVID world? I don't even know if we are yet. Uh, and later in the day, we're going to speak to the UBS chief executive, Ralph Harmers, plus Credit Suisse chair, Axel Lehmann. So uh, that's just a taster uh, of um, our double page uh, guests. Very exciting. Plus just panel. Uh, Russia's Gazprom, though, has halted gas supplies to Finland in a dispute over energy payments. I'm sure it's nothing to do with Finland applying for NATO membership. Uh, the Russian group has demanded that countries pay for supplies in rubles as the Kremlin bids to evade sanctions over its invasion of Ukraine. Finland has also drawn the ire of Moscow, as I just mentioned, over its application to join NATO. Finnish authorities said there would be no disruption to customers. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC. <laughs>